are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. The Sapphire Planet. The RMS Titanic was a British passenger liner that sank in the North Atlantic Ocean on April 15, 1912 after colliding with an iceberg during its maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York City. The sinking of the Titanic caused the deaths of 1,514 people in one of the most deadliest peacetime maritime disasters in history. It was the largest ship of its time afloat during its maiden voyage. One of three Olympic-class ocean liners operated by the White Star Line. It was built between 1909 and 1911 by the Harland and Wolfe Shipyard in Belfast, Ireland. The Titanic carried 2,223 people. Its passengers included some of the wealthiest people in the world, as well as over a thousand immigrants from Great Britain and Ireland, Scandinavia, and elsewhere seeking a new life in North America. The ship was designed to be the last word in comfort and luxury with an onboard gymnasium, swimming pool, libraries, high-class restaurants, and opulent cabins. It also had a powerful wireless telegraph provided for the convenience of passengers as well as for operational use. Though it had advanced safety features, 
such as watertight compartments and remotely activated watertight doors. It lacked enough light bulbs to accommodate all of those aboard. Due to the outdated maritime safety regulations, it carried only enough lifeboats for 1,178 people, a third of its total passengers and crew capacity. After leaving Southampton on April 10, 1912, Titanic called at Cherbourg in France and Queenstown in Ireland before heading westward towards New York. On April 14, 1912, four days into the crossing and about 375 miles south of Newfoundland, it hit an iceberg at 11.40 p.m. The glancing collision called Titanic's hull plates to buckle inwards in a number of locations on its starboard side and opened five of its 16 watertight compartments to the sea. Over the next two and a half hours, the ship gradually filled with water and sank. Passengers and some crew members were evacuated in lifeboats, many of which were launched only partly filled. A disproportionate number of men over 90% of those in second class, were left aboard due to a women and children first protocol, followed by the officers loading the lifeboats. Just before 2.20 a.m., Titanic broke up and sank bow first with over a thousand people still on board. Those in the water died within minutes from hypothermia caused by immersion in the freezing ocean. The 710 survivors were taken aboard from the lifeboats by the RMS Carpathia a few hours later. The disaster was greeted with worldwide shock and outrage at the huge loss of life and the regulatory and operational failures that had led to it. Public inquiries in Britain and the United States led to major improvements in maritime safety. One of their most important legacies was the establishment in 1914 of the International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea, or SOLAS, which still governs maritime safety today. Many of the survivors lost all of their money and possessions and were left destitute. Many families, particularly those of crew members from Southampton, lost their primary breadwinner. There were helped by an outpouring of public sympathy and charitable donations. Some of the male survivors most notably the White Star Line's chairman, J. Bruce Ismay, were accused of cowardice 
for leaving the ship whilst people were still on board, and they faced social ostracism. The wreck of the Titanic remains on the seabed, gradually disintegrating at a depth of 1,200, 12,415 feet. Since its rediscovery in 1985, thousands of artifacts have been recovered from the seabed and put on display at museums around the world. Titanic has become one of the most famous ships in history. Its memory kept alive by numerous books, films, exhibits, and memorials. Even though the Titanic rests 12,415 feet under the sea, its memory still lives on. Built in Belfast, Ireland, United Kingdom, the RMS Titanic was the second of three Olympic-class ocean liners. The others were the RMS Olympic and the HMHS Britannic, which incidentally was originally named the Gigantic. They were by far the largest vessels of the British shipping company, White Star Lines Fleet, which comprised 29 steamers and tenders in 1912. The three ships had their genesis in a discussion in mid-1907 between the White Star Lines chairman, J. Bruce Ismay, and the American financier, J. Pierpont Morgan, who controlled the White Star Lines parent corporation, the International Mercantile Marine Company. The White Star Line faced a growing challenge from its main rivals, Cunard, which has just launched Lusitania and Maritania, the fastest passenger ships in the service. And the German line Hamburg America and Norduster Lloyd. Ismay preferred to compete on size rather than speed and proposed to commission a new class of liners that would be bigger than anything that had gone before as well as being the last word in comfort and luxury. The ships were constructed by the Belfast shipbuilders, Harland and Wolfe, who had a long established relationship with the White Star Line, dating back to 1867. Harland and Wolfe were given a great deal of latitude in designing ships for the White Star Line. The usual approach was for the latter to sketch out a general concept which the former would take away and turn into a ship design. Cost considerations were relatively low on the agenda and Harland and Wolfe was authorized to spend what it needed on the ships, plus 5% profit margins. In the case of the Olympic class ships, a cost of 
three million sterling for the first two ships was agreed, plus extras to contract at the usual 5% fee. Harland and Wolf put their leading designers to work designing the Olympic-class vessels. It was overseen by Lord Pierre, a director of both Harlan and Wolf and the White Star Line, naval architect Thomas Andrews, the managing director of Harland and Wolf's design department, Edward Wilding, Andrews' deputy and responsible for calculating the ship's design, stability, and trim, and Alexander Carlyle, the shipyard's chief draftsman and general manager. Carlyle's responsibilities included the decorations, equipment, and all general arrangements, including the implementation of an efficient lifeboat davit design. On July 29, 1908, Harlan and Wolfe presented the drawings to J. Bruce Ismay and other White Star Line executives. Ismay approved the design and signed three letters of agreement. Two days later, authorizing the start of the construction. At this point, the first ship, which was later to become the Olympic, had no name but to, was referred to simply as number 400, as it was Harlan and Wolfe's 400th hull. Titanic was based on a revised version of the same design and given the number 401. Titanic was 882 feet 9 inches long with a maximum breadth of 92 feet 6 inches. Its total height measured from the base of the keel to the top of the bridge was 104 feet tall. It measured 46,328 gross register tons and with a draft of 34 feet 7 inches it displaced 52,310 tons. All three of the Olympic-class ships had 11 decks, excluding the top officers' quarters, eight of which were for passenger use. From the top to the bottom, the decks were as followed. The boat deck, on which the lifeboats were positioned. It was from here in the early hours of April 15, 1912, that the Titanic's lifeboats were lowered into the North Atlantic. The bridge and wheelhouse were at the forward end, in front of the captain's and officer's quarters. The bridge stood eight feet above the deck, extending out to either side so that the ship could be controlled while docking. 
The wheelhouse stood directly behind and above the bridge. The entrance to the first-class grand staircase and gymnasium were located midship along with the raised roof of the first-class lounge, while at the rear of the deck were the roof of the first-class smoke room and the relatively modest second-class entrance. The wood-covered deck was divided into four segregated promenades for officers, first-class passengers, engineers, and second-class passengers, respectively. Lifeboats lined the side of the deck, except in the first-class area, where there was a gap so that the view would not be spoiled. A deck, also called the promenade deck, extended along the entire 546 feet length of the superstructure. It was reserved exclusively for first-class passengers and contained first-class cabins, the first-class lounge, smoke room, reading and writing rooms, and palm court. B deck, the bridge deck, was the top weight-bearing deck and the uppermost level of the hull. More first-class passengers accommodations was located here with six palatial staterooms featuring their own private promenades. On Titanic, the a la carte restaurant and the Café Parisien provided luxury dining facilities to first-class passengers. Both were run by subcontracted chefs and their staff. All were lost in the disaster. The second-class smoking room and entrance hall were both located on this deck. The raised forecastle of the ship was forward of the bridge deck, accommodating number one hatch. The number one hatch is the main hatch through to the cargo holds. Various pieces of machinery and the anchor housing. It was kept off limits to the passengers. The famous flying scene at the ship's bow from the 1997 film Titanic would have not been possible in real life. After the bridge deck was the raised poop deck, 106 feet long, used as a promenade by third-class passengers. It was where many of Titanic's passengers and crew made their last stand as the ship sank. The forecastle and the poop deck were separated from the bridge deck by well decks. Sea deck, the shelter deck, was the highest deck to run uninterrupted from the ship's stem to stern. It included two well decks 
the aft one served as part of the third-class promenade. Crew cabins were located under the forecastle, and the third-class public rooms were situated under the poop deck. In between were the majority of first-class cabins and the second-class library. D-deck, the salon deck, was dominated by three large public rooms. The first-class reception room, the first-class dining saloon, and the deck's second-class dining salon. An open space was provided for third-class passengers. First, second, and third-class passengers had cabins on this deck with berths for the firemen located in the bow. It was the highest level reached by the ship's watertight bulkheads, though only by eight of the 15 bulkheads. E-deck, the upper deck, was predominantly used for passenger accommodations for all classes, plus berths for cooks, seamen, stewards, and trimmers. Along its length ran a long passageway named Scotland Road by the crew, in reference to a famous street in Liverpool. F-deck, the middle deck, was the last complete deck and it mainly accommodated third-class passengers. There were also some second-class cabins and crew accommodations. The third-class dining saloon was located here, as were the swimming pools and Turkish bath. G-deck, the lower deck, was the lowest complete deck that carried passengers and had the lowest portholes just above the waterline. The squash court was located here along with the traveling post office where mail clerks sorted letters and parcels so that they would be ready for delivery when the ship docked. Food was also stored here. The deck was interrupted at several points by Orlop decks over the boiler, engine, and turbine rooms. The Orlop deck and the tank top were at the lowest level of the ship, below the waterline. The Orlop decks were used as cargo spaces, while the tank top, the inner bottom of the ship's hull, provided the platform on which the ship's boilers, engines, turbines, and electrical generators sat. This part of the ship was dominated by the engine and boiler rooms, areas that the passengers would never normally see. They were connected with the highest levels of the ship by flights of stairs, twin spiral stairways near the bow gave access up to D-Deck. Titanic 
was equipped with three engines, two reciprocating four-cylinder triple expansion steam engines, and one centrally placed low-pressure Parsons turbine, each driving a propeller. The two reciprocating engines had a combined output of 30,000 horsepower and a further 16,000 horsepower was contributed by the turbine. The White Star Line had previously used the same combination of engines on an earlier liner, the SS Laurentic, where it had been a great success. It provided a good combination of performance and speed. Reciprocating engines by themselves were not powerful enough to propel an Olympic-class liner at the desired speeds, while turbines were sufficiently powerful but caused uncomfortable vibrations, a problem that affected the all-turbine canard liners Lusitania and Mauritania. By combining reciprocating engines with a turbine, fuel usage could be reduced and motive power increased while using the same amount of steam. The two reciprocating engines were giants, each 63 feet long and weighing 720 tons. Their bed plates alone weighed a further 195 tons. They were powered by steam produced in 29 boilers, 24 of which were double-ended, and five single-ended, which contained a total of 159 furnaces. The boilers were 15 feet 9 inches in diameter and 20 feet long, each weighing 91 and a half tons and capable of holding 48 and a half tons of water. They were heated by burning coal, 6,611 tons of which could be carried in the Titanic's bunkers with a further 1,092 tons in hold number three. The furnaces required over 600 tons of coal a day to be shoveled into them by hand, requiring the services of 176 firemen working around the clock. 100 tons of ash a day had to be disposed by ejecting it into the sea the work was relentless, dirty, and dangerous, and although firemen were paid relatively generously, the work was incredibly hard. Exhaust steam leaving the reciprocating engines was fed into the turbine, which was situated aft. From there, it was passed into a condenser so that the steam could be condensed back into water and reused. The engines were attached directly to long shafts which drove the propellers. There were three, 
one for each engine. The outer, or wing propellers, were the largest, each carrying three blades of manganese bronze alloy with a to total diameter of 23 and a half feet. The central propeller was somewhat smaller, at 17 feet in diameter, and it could be stopped, but it could not be reversed. Titanic's electrical plant was capable of producing more power than a typical city power station of the time. Immediately after the turbine engines were four 400 kilowatt steam-driven electric generators used to provide electrical power to the ship, plus two 30 kilowatt auxiliary generators for emergency use. Their location at the rear of the ship meant that they remained operational until the last few minutes before the ship sank. The Titanic's rudder was large enough at 78 feet 8 inches high and 15 feet 3 inches long, weighing over 100 tons, that it required steering engines to move it. Two steam-powered steering engines were installed, though only one was used at any one time, with the other one kept in reserve. They were connected to the short tiller through stiff springs to isolate the steering engines from any shocks in heavy seas or during the fastest changes of direction. As a last resort, the tiller could be moved by ropes connected to two steam capstans. The capstans were also used to raise and lower the ship's five anchors, one port, one starboard, one in the center line, and two kedging anchors. The ship was equipped with its own waterworks, capable of heating and pumping water to all parts of the vessel via a complex network of pipes and valves. The main water supply was taken aboard while Titanic was in port, but in an emergency, it could also distill fresh water from the sea, though this was not a straightforward process as this distillation plant was quickly clogged by salt deposits. A network of insulated ducts conveyed warm air driven by electric fans around the ship and first-class cabins were fitted with an additional electric heater. Titanic was equipped with two 1.5 kilowatt spark gap wireless telegraphs located in the radio room on the bridge deck. One was set for used for transmitting messages and the other located in a soundproof booth for receiving them. The signals were transmitted through two parallel lines strung between the ship's masts 50 feet above the funnels to avoid the corrosive smoke. The system 
was one of the most powerful in the world, with a range of up to 1,000 miles. It was owned and operated by the Marconi Company, rather than White Star Line, and was intended primarily for passengers, rather than ship operations. The function of the two wireless operators, both Marconi employees, was to operate a 24-hour service, sending and receiving wireless telegrams for passengers. They did, however, also pass on professional ship messages, such as weather reports and ice warnings. The passenger facilities aboard Titanic aimed to meet the highest standard of luxury. The ship could accommodate 739 first-class passengers, 674 in second class, and 1,026 passengers in third class. Its crew numbered about 900 people. In all, the Titanic could carry about 3,339 people, passengers and crew. Its interior design was a departure from that of other passenger liners, which had typically been decorated in the rather heavy style of a manor house or English country house. Titanic was laid out in a much lighter style, similar to that of contemporary high-class hotels. The Ritz Hotel was a reference point with first-class cabins finished in the Empire style. A variety of other decorative styles, ranging from the Renaissance to Victorian styles, were used to decorate cabins and public rooms in first and second class areas of the ship. The aim was to convey an impression that the passengers were in a floating hotel rather than a ship as one passenger recalled on entering the ship's interior, a passenger would at once lose the feeling that th we were on board a ship and seem instead to be entering the hall of some gray's house on shore. Passengers could use an onboard telephone system, a lending library, and a large barbershop. The first class section had a swimming pool, a gymnasium, squash court, Turkish bath, electric bath, and a cafe. First class common rooms were adorned with ornate wood paneling, expensive furniture, and other decorations, while third-class general rooms had a pine paneling and sturdy teak furniture. The Café Parisian was located on a sunlit veranda, fitted with trellis decorations, and offered the best French cuisine for the first-class passengers. Third-class passengers 
were not treated as luxuriously as those in first class. But even so, they were better off than their counterparts on many other ships of the time. They were accommodated in cabins, sleeping between two and ten people, with a further 164 open berths provided for single young men on G-deck. They were, however, much more limited than first or second class passengers in their washing and bathing facilities. There were only two bathrooms, one each for men and women for the entire third class complement. They had to wash their own clothes in washrooms equipped with iron tubs, whereas those traveling in first and second class used the ship's laundry. There were also restrictions on which parts of the ship they could enter. All three classes were segregated from each other, and although in theory passengers from the higher classes could visit the lower classes, in practice, respect for the social conventions meant that they did not do so. The class distinctions were reflected in the ship's fittings. The third-class toilets were made of iron. Those in second class were made of porcelain. And those in first class were made of marble. Leisure facilities were provided for all three classes to pass the time, as well as making use of the indoor amenities such as the library, smoking rooms, and gymnasiums. It was also customary for passengers to socialize on the open deck, promenading or relaxing in higher deck chairs or wooden benches. A passenger's list was published before sailing to inform the public which members of the great and good were on board. And it was not uncommon for ambitious mothers to use the list to identify rich bachelors to whom they could introduce their marriageable daughters during the voyage. One of Titanic's most distinctive features was its first-class staircase, known as the Grand Staircase or Grand Stairway. This descended through five decks of the ship, from the boat deck to the reception room adjoining the first-class dining salon on D-deck. It was capped with a dome of wrought iron and glass that admitted natural light. Each landing off the staircase gave access to ornate entrance halls lit by gold-plated light fixtures. At the uppermost landing was a large carved wood panel containing a clock with figures of honor and glory crowning time flanking the clock face. The grand staircase was destroyed in Titanic sinking and is now just a void in the ship's which modern explorers have used to access the lower decks. During the filming of the Titanic in 1997, 
The replica of the Grand Staircase was ripped from its foundations by the force of the inrushing water on the set. It has been suggested that during the real event, the entire Grand Staircase was ejected upwards through the dome. Although Titanic was primarily a passenger liner, it also carried a substantial amount of cargo. Its designation as a Royal Mail ship indicated that it carried mail under contract with the Royal Mail and also for the United States Post Office. 26,800 cubic feet of space in its hold was allocated for storage of letters and parcels, bullion, coins, and other valuables. The C post office on G-Deck was manned by five postal clerks, three Americans, two Britons, who worked 13 hours a day, seven days a week, sorting up to 60,000 items daily. The ship's passengers brought with them a huge amount of baggage. Another 20,000 cubic feet was taken up by first and second class baggage. In addition, there was considerable quantity of regular cargo, ranging from furniture to foodstuffs and even motor cars. Despite later myths, the cargo on Titanic's maiden voyage was fairly mundane. There was no gold, no exotic minerals or diamonds, and one of the more famous items lost in the shipwreck, the jeweled copy of the Rubiat of Omar Kamaya, was valued at only about 405 sterling, which would be around 30,000 sterling today. Hardly the stuff of legends. Titanic was equipped with eight electric cranes, four electric winches, and three stern steam winches to lift cargo and baggage in and out of the hold. It is estimated the ship used some 415 tons of coal while in Southampton alone, simply generating steam to operate the cargo winches, heat, and light. Titanic carried a total of 20 lifeboats, 14 standard wooden Harland and Wolf lifeboats with a capacity of 65 people each, and four Engelhart collapsible lifeboats, identified as A, B, C, and D, with a capacity of 47 people each. In addition, it had two emergency cutters with a capacity of 40 people each. All of the lifeboats were stowed securely on the boat deck, except for collapsible lifeboats, A and B, connected to davits by ropes. Those on the starboard side were odd-numbered, 1 through 15, from bow to stern, while those on the port side were even-numbered, 2 through 16, from bow to stern. The two cutters were kept, swung out, hanging from the davits 
ready for immediate use. While collapsible lifeboats C and D were stowed on the boat deck, connected to the davits, immediately inboard of boats one and two respectively. A and B were stored on the roof of the officer quarters on either side of number one funnel. There were no davits to lower them and their weight would make them challenging to launch. Each boat carried, among other things, food, water, blankets, and a spare life belt. Lifeline ropes on the boat's sides enabled them to save additional people from the water if necessary. Titanic had 16 sets of davits, each able to handle four lifeboats. This gave Titanic the ability to carry up to 64 wooden lifeboats, which would have been enough for 4,000 people, considerably more than its actual capacity. However, the White Star Line decided that only 16 lifeboats and four collapsible would be carried, which would accommodate 1,000 178 people, only one-third the Titanic's total capacity. At the time of the Board of Trade regulations, required British vessels over 10,000 tons to carry 16 lifeboats with a capacity of 990 occupants. Therefore, the White Star Line actually provided much more lifeboat accommodations than was legally required. The sheer size of Titanic and its sister ships posed a major engineering challenge for Harlan and Wolfe. No shipbuilder had ever before attempted to construct vessels of this size. The ships were constructed on Queens Island, now known as the Titanic Quarter, in Belfast Harbor. Harlan and Wolf had to demolish three existing slipways and build two new slipways, the biggest ever constructed up to that time, to accommodate the giant ships. Their construction was facilitated by an enormous gantry built by Sir William Errol and Company, a Scottish firm responsible for building of the fourth bridge and London's Tower Bridge. The Errol Gantry stood 228 feet high, was 270 feet wide, and 840 feet long, and weighed more than 6,000 tons. It accommodated a number of mobile cranes, a separate floating crane capable of lifting 200 tons was brought in from Germany. The construction of the Titanic and Olympic took place virtually in parallel, with Olympic's hull laid down first on December 16, 1908, and Titanic's on March 31, 1909. Both ships took about 26 months to build and followed much of the same construction process. They were designed essentially as enormous floating box girder with the keel acting as the backbone and the frames of the hull forming the ribs. At the base of the ships, a double bottom five feet three inch deep supported 300 frames, each between 24 inches 
and 36 inches apart and measuring up to 66 feet long. They terminated at bridge deck B deck and were covered with steel plates which formed the outer skin of the ships. The 2,000 hull plates were single pieces of rolled up steel, mostly up to 6 feet wide and 30 feet long, and weighing between 2.5 and 3 tons. Their thickness varied from 1 to 5 inches to 1 inch. The plates were laid in a clinkered or overlapping fashion, from the keel to the bilge. Above that point, they were laid in the in-and-out fashion, where the strake plating was applied in bands, with the gaps covered by the outstrakes overlapping the edges. Steel welding was still in its infancy, so the structure had to be held together with over 3 million iron and steel rivets, which by themselves weighed over 1,200 tons. They were fitted using hydraulic machines or were hammered in by hand. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet? Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.